0: Hello and welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I am your co-host Josh Proto of Serverless Guru and I am here today with Prasanth, AWS Serverless Hero and co-founder of Anstack.io. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate the time, Prasanth.
1: Hi Josh, I mean, thanks for having me here. It's, uh, it's an honor to be on this podcast.
0: You know, it's always great to get a Serverless Inc. partner on, someone who is really experienced, not only in the e-commerce, but just in the consultancy side, because, you know, I feel that those sort of people... Are the ones who are down in the dirt doing the work and have a really good on the ground knowledge. So I'm really excited for a
1: conversation today. Yeah, same here. Like uh, we have we share a lot of, uh, you know, common things between uh, serverless guru and Anstack and uh, I see we come from similar places in our past. So it's it's a lot of uh, interesting stuff happening in both the companies. Absolutely. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story
0: and how you sort of, you know, ended up in the serverless space and ended up co-founding Anstack, if you wouldn't mind giving a little taste of your journey.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, So basically, I have been an entrepreneur for almost a decade, uh, 10 years now. And uh, I started my journey as an entrepreneur with a fashion e-commerce portal uh, in India. And uh, I ran that company for a good seven years. And after that I started something called as Wheelsbox, which was into uh making new car buyer experience uh awesome. So in during the style tag it was uh mostly built on Ruby on Rails, uh you know EC2 ELB uh stack and all that. So we had uh you know typical monolith problems in uh in the style tag days. So we we, we were uh, using a lot of APM tools to address memory leaks, fix the issues in pror and you know all that kinds of stuff so when I came out of style tag and uh, started building my new startup which is Wheelsbox, I just didn't want to do wanted to do the same things uh, which I did in the past and I wanted to see like how I can simplify technology when I'm building the new startup I didn't want to uh, get back into the same troubles which I had before building an e-commerce platform and monolithic and, you know, servers, pager duty alerts in the middle of the night and all of that. So, and also Wheelsbox, I bootstrapped. So I had to make sure that it's not very human resource intensive. The tech is very simple. And I wanted to focus on my business uh, use cases than, you know, worrying about infrastructure and how to manage stuff. When I came out of tag there were like, um, serverless is serverless was uh pretty new and uh, containers was in in its like all glory it was kicking off like really really well so I was thinking whether to do containers or whether to do serverless uh, to build my startup then I realized you know I would probably end up spending few months to understand uh and get through uh the container ecosystem so might as well use that uh time in building uh my business use cases instead of uh, learning uh, putting too much effort in technology and that's when i started really seriously exploring uh, serverless with buildbox and i built the whole platform just with another couple of engineers on serverless uh, end-to-end using serverless framework and after that because of that learning exercise i i had so much to share to the world so uh, i started going out uh, giving talks i kind of gave a lot of talks uh, you know uh, across india in many cities uh, about serverless beginner intermediate you know expert level uh, sessions i did workshops i went to colleges uh, mentored college students about serverless so i went full on with that because i truly uh, believed in serverless uh, coming from the background of running e-commerce company on a uh, you know server full architecture if you if there is such a word and hence, uh, that's how the journey kind of started. One led to another. Uh, I felt it's a good space to begin because I personally uh, believe in serverless. Uh, to do something more in that ecosystem was something I attracted me. So that's uh, how I started Anstack. Uh, kind of a long answer, but uh, I think I had to give the complete overview. No fantastic. I love it.
0: And I think, you know, I always love hearing the entrepreneur journey. And that's something, you know, I've definitely experienced. And I love just seeing how different people end up where they are. And sometimes it's not someone doesn't begin thinking, Oh, I'm gonna start my own serverless consultancy. They just wake up one day. Just sort of a natural extension of, you know, having success solving a problem. And then from hearing from you, you know, really being passionate about this solution the serverless as a solution and then teaching people about it and really wanting to you know, educate people about uh, this better way to build applications, this better way to build architecture. Would you say that there is maybe a specific problem that happens when you're using like a server full or a monolithic architecture in e-commerce specifically that you no longer have to deal with when using serverless or is it sort of just a general benefit of serverless Uh, e-commerce is maybe more is apt to use the benefits of serverless.
1: So, uh, I mean, going back to my uh, first startup days, uh, the, in the e-commerce, the main thing was, uh, you know, the load was always unpredictable. We did not know, uh, at what point in time suddenly something can kick off, uh, some product which will suddenly become viral. So, you know, we used to get a lot of middle of the night traffic for no reason. We, we could not determine like what was causing such kind of surge. And in, uh, in the classic, uh, you know, ELB, uh EC2 uh, days the EC, uh, the ELB was not scaling uh, in response to the burst traffic which we used to get so there was always this question mark in our head whether you know whether the auto scaling group will kick in in the right time uh, when the load is there or will it be too delayed uh, by the time it comes up sometimes you know traffic would have gone because e-commerce is very uh you know people come and if they don't have a good experience they leave in no time so it was very important to be available when people hit it and that was a very big challenge for us and uh, another thing uh, which i want to mention is which is kind of a side benefit of using serverless and what it was in style tag versus serverless was that over a period of time uh, being a e-commerce startup we ended up adding lot of features and ton of uh, Uh, you know, uh, unused uh, code and feature and we accumulated a lot of technical debt over a period of time which we could not address because it was a typical startup. We were like, okay, if we add this feature, it is going to bring in a lot more customers. Uh, Let's add this, let's add that. The customer support team will ask for something new and we do that and the marketing team asks for something new, we do that. And, you know, in the process of, and it was a small tech team, and in the process of doing quick releases and adding new features really, really fast. In a typical startup environment, we accumulated a lot of debt, and we reached a point where, you know, quote-unquote, uh, quote-unquote, uh, throwing more servers at it would not just help. We used a lot of uh, APM tools like Lake and uh, try to address the issue of memory leaks and typical issue in rails applications especially uh so all of this kind of you know reminds me of those old gory days where in the middle of the night if my cell phone buzzes i always worry like what's wrong now so that is that is something which was the case with uh that so main main thing is in e-commerce um you know predicting the capacity, predicting the load of when uh people are going to come at what what product can become your hero product, suddenly driving the traffic you know probably some celebrity tweeted about a product in your uh, on your portal and suddenly you start you know uh seeing un- unprecedented traffic and the serverful architecture is just not there yet to respond in such a manner in a bust man burstful manner so that's where i think you know serverless can uh, be really really useful in case of so in case of that kind of burst uh, traffic it can scale instantaneously which is really really uh, important at the same time i also want to talk about you know we always had to maintain the, the base uh, capacity of the infrastructure thinking uh, our highest traffic if if my max traffic is uh some say you know 10000 concurrent users i need to make sure my database is scaled in proportion to that all the time even though most of the time maybe average traffic is about 2000 uh, 3000 uh, people but the database is more scaled up to make sure that in case we hit our burst it, it is there to serve that so you are kind of over provisioned to to your burst capacity uh In some areas like database, uh, the compute can probably scale in accordance with the burst. But, you know, some areas of your application has to maintain that base uh, infrastructure all the time, uh, which is unnecessary uh, resources, unutilized resources, basically. Absolutely.
0: No, that's a really good point that you make there. Are you finding that a lot of people that either are coming to you for help or maybe when you're teaching and then they, they, they'll they come up and ask questions later, are they sort of already fully aware of all of these various benefits that serverless, you know, could give them or they understand that I'm having problems uh, load balancing and matching or matching my traffic patterns, serverless is the right solution? Or a lot of people really surprised when they start to actually hear, oh, these don't have to be problems anymore. Uh, I can get someone like Prasant and, and their team to help me
1: uh it's a, it's a good uh, mix of people uh sometimes and more more so of the people who are coming and asking uh the beginner beginner sorts of questions like most of the times it's about cold start. You know, most of the time, you know, can you do this in, can, can you do this in serverless, that in serverless, uh, sorts of questions. And, uh, sometimes people do come and ask specific questions like, uh, you know, I face this particular issue in, uh, Lambda. How do you address that? How do you address this? Those kind of questions as well. But most of the time it's, it's people who are coming and asking, uh, is this possible in serverless? That's like the most asked question for me. I can definitely
0: relate to that on being on the client support side or in that sort of way. Is this, you know, I'd say very specific or at least a lot of people think, you know, very specific to their use case, like is this possible with serverless? And, um, I would say nine out of 10 times in my experience, like, you know, you could, you could definitely make it work. Uh, though I'd say, you know, I think there's also a, a pull or a feeling in the, in the larger, I'd say serverless and cloud community is that, you know, serverless isn't always the solution and that, you know, there's sort of a spectrum of cloud services and how cloud reliant or serverless reliant one can be. And some people are very adamant, I'd say, in being like, you know, we you really have to do a inventory of where your organization is at, and then we'll sort of pick or choose where we want to develop on this axis, while others I know are like, I'm only going to be starting projects uh, using serverless. Um, and I'm interested to get your opinion on that especially as someone who's fielding a lot of questions, who's down in the dirt doing the development, are you sort of always serverless first in your mind? Or are there instances where, of course, there are some maybe some instances where you would advise against it, but uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this overall issue that I've been hearing more and more about.
1: Ever since, uh, you know, my second startup, Wheelsbox, I have almost become like a serverless first person. Because I see, I feel that, you know, the serverless ecosystem has enough number of components available to you it's not just lambda right a lot of people think serverless means lambda but it is not you know uh, you want authentication you have cognito you have uh, file storage in s3 you have a Q, you you want a queue you have sqs you have a PUPS, you want a PubSub. you have sns so you have like a whole bunch of offering in, in aws and similarly in google which are available for you to use in your architecture like lego blocks And you can put them together to build your own specific architecture, right? So I always uh, try to tell them, you know, it's not just Lambda functions. You have so many other varied offerings. You can put together all of this uh, in a nice architecture of your own. Some people ask about, you know, limitations of Lambda, the timeouts. What if I want to, you know, run something for a little longer than the 15-minute timeout? Then I suggest, you know, in those cases when there is a real reason behind, you know, not using a lambda or something like that, I try to tell them you could probably look at a hybrid approach where instead of lambda functions you could look at Fargate ECS. Still, your management of the cloud is still reduced drastically, but it is. It may not be purely serverless. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure whether ECS Fargate setup qualifies to be a fully serverless offering. So in some cases, I I suggest to use go with hybrid uh, approach.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your perspective. I think that's uh, something very common, you know, definitely a hybrid approach there. Yeah, I definitely, I'd say over at Serverless Guru, a lot of the times, you know, we're naturally falling into a sort of a serverless first mindset, or at least with the level of problems that a lot of people we talk to are having. It sort of makes sense. There's usually a use case for it. And then there's certain times where, you know, we also are having to do something with Fargate EKS or something that is requiring more of a hybrid approach. But good to just to see what the general pulse is, especially for people who are sort of like the serverless doctors in the space. So thank you for
1: that. Another thing which uh, Patron kind of uh, have noticed is uh, the younger uh, audience, like the people who are getting into cloud ecosystem now, right? they are They are kind of jumping into serverless first they they don't have this conventional uh, baggage of biases coming from conventional architecture and you know server fullness the you know all all those kind of conventional stuff they kind of uh, jump right into serverless and they kind of like i have my colleagues coming to me and asking uh, why are there people still using servers so they have that completely opposite mindset uh, where they kind of question why we should be using servers anymore because This is so awesome. Serverless is so awesome. You don't have to worry about management of infrastructure and all of that. And you can focus on your writing, your own business uh, use cases and stuff. At the same time, we have people who are uh, really, really veterans experienced in what they do, have a lot of uh, skepticism when it comes to serverless. They ask all these kinds of questions. They are very worried if if we switch, whether the latency will be a problem how do we debug? And, you know, even those, you know, observability companies like Lumigo and all are doing really good job, but still these guys, they have so much experience. Sometimes it works against you to uh, adopt to something new, something fresh. So there are like two, I have seen both sides, uh, both kinds of people in this ecosystem.
0: I'm also seeing a lot of people and, you know, a lot of people sort of talk to me and they'll ask me, you know, Josh, I'm really wanting to either, you know, level up my experience in software development or I'm trying to jump into it. What do you think is a good place to start or just some good tech stack to learn? And I usually, you know, will recommend serverless or they've already seen some serverless or cloud services and they're like, I'm really into this. So yeah, there's a lot of like, you know, i say a new generation or a starting generation of people who are doing serverless first, you know, and it makes me wonder, I wonder, you know, is the next wave of like, New applications is this new generation? Are there going to be a serverless first generation? Are they really going to have a push to sort of you know throw away any old ideas of running it on servers and that sort of thing? So you know, I, I wonder about that, and I also wonder what the future of sort of the serverless space looks like.
1: Yeah, so even uh, I feel the same. Like um, this is just the beginning for serverless. I guess I I think there's going to be a lot more abstraction over infrastructure right now only infrastructure layers is a layer is serverless like if you look at um, serverless ink the serverless components which they are building things like that is going to make make it even more easier uh, for someone to build their own architecture like i mentioned earlier lego blocks you want auth you, you just take one component you want cloudfront you, you you take one component and you kind of uh, put them all together in no time and build your own uh, set of services. I think there's going to be a lot more coming in that direction, where people will build more abstractions on top of uh, underlying serverless infrastructure, and more and more stuff will come in the in that space. Is my guesswork for the future. But at the same time, uh, I also feel there are some gaps uh, which still serverless needs to address. Uh, like for example. If you think of GraphQL and serverless, you can't think of many offerings apart from AWS AppSync. I don't really know if there is any other serverless GraphQL uh, technologies out there. So there are still some gaps uh, with respect to a serverless ecosystem. I feel that it will get filled really, really soon. And also you can see the the kind of progress we are having uh, in serverless, like a lot of things which were a big problem before. For example, people used to always wonder and ask questions about cold starts. Now there is a provisioned concurrency, which is available now. And people used to before ask about, you know, what if I want Lambda to be stateful? What if I want to, you know, process something and have some kind of continuity when the next Lambda comes up? So now there is EFS support for Lambda, which kind of you can, you know, overcome limitations of 15 minute timeout. and Basically, you can build systems which a Lambda can process uh, long long processing stuff and keep some pointer for the next Lambda to pick up from and the next Lambda can continue processing. So uh, every day there is improvement happening, which is addressing all those blockers, which used to be the blockers before. And I think it's evolving really, really rapidly. Yeah, I definitely second that. You know, I remember before
0: Provision Concurrency came out, we were fielding a lot of questions about cold starts, and that was one of the biggest, I would say, obstructions we would get from people. And we were writing this big piece on how to sort of circumvent that problem, and then they released Provision Concurrency, so we had to scrap that article. It wasn't necessarily useful anymore. But, <laughs> you know, things do change so quickly, and that that's an exciting thing to be in a space where there's so much energy and effort from different angles, like not just AWS, but doing the work that we do and understanding what we know about Azure and GCP and everything, there's a lot of interest from many different angles. And it's exciting to be in a place where, you know, it doesn't seem like it's, it's going anywhere anytime soon. Or even if it does go someplace, I think it's going to be evolving from serverless. But I fully agree right now, I'd say serverless is still very, very young. And we're still probably pretty early in the whole adoption curve as far as standard industry practices are considered.
1: I mean, uh, the cloud adoption itself is probably less than 15% overall, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure. could not quote me on the numbers. But yeah, serverless still has a long way to go with respect to adoption. And I'm sure that, you know, uh, the way I see it from probably a couple of years ago to now, I see a lot of uptick in adoption in uh, corporates, uh, you know, large enterprises and startups alike lot of people are kind of getting, you know, opened up over serverless and they are starting to explore this more and more. I also see that in some cases, the pressure from investors to, you know, bring down the cost aspect of uh, the infrastructure and so on. Like some of, there are like some investors who are like really, really educated on serverless and they are kind of asking these hard questions to our startups and, Founders like why are you not on serverless? Why are you still, you know, running classic ELB, EC2 stack? You, you could probably reduce some cost in in infrastructure if you switch to serverless. So I see that a lot of people are now uh, looking at serverless very, very seriously compared to before, where there was uh, when even when I started, all my friends had a lot of skepticism when I said I'm going to build this entirely on serverless they were like is it even possible it's just a you know compute layer at this point it's it just lambda. will you be able to really manage to build a whole platform on it so that skepticism is now gone because we have lot more use cases available uh, lot lot many big corporates uh, using it and you know putting across as a case studies uh, banks adopting to serverless and so on so that that uh, barrier is kind of getting Uh, lower and lower uh, as we go ahead in this journey.
0: Completely or else if the uh, opinions still exist, they have a lot less, I would say, arguments to be made as far as saying that serverless isn't mature enough or there isn't enough use cases for industries like banking or even entertainment and that sort of thing. So with all of these sort of, you know, I'd say newer developments with serverless in this constantly changing atmosphere. Do you have any projects that you're working on, or things that you're excited about trying out or playing with right now?
1: Uh it's been it's been a hard time for me uh, in the co- in the pandemic. So to you know the team is completely working from home to manage everything. It's been uh, very hard. So I've been sidetracked a lot at this point. But what what I've been doing uh, off late is uh, I started this uh, community on Discord for serverless enthusiasts which has thankfully uh, attracted a lot of uh, serverless people around the world like Jeremy dali and chase everybody is there so that that is something which i am very excited about because i didn't see that there is a community for serverless uh, which is kind of you can instantly ask questions and probably you know other get opinions of others uh, about your approach and generally talk about serverless uh, with other people who are enthusiastic about that so that is something uh, I, I i kind of uh, created see if uh, something similar to serverless uh, components with uh, little more abstraction uh, with respect to like auth systems and other components in serverless where people can readily use but it's in very very nascent stage early stage which I don't think uh, is substantial enough to share in this uh, forum here. Of course. well I
0: know I think you know the community will be very excited to play with that once it gets to a point but I think the discord community is is fantastic. I learned about it recently and I didn't know you were the one in charge of that so thank you so much. I think it's always great to have access to to community and to have direct response from questions and a gathering place for everyone because I think before, You know, maybe Twitter is like the closest place we would have to be able to see all of our serverless friends and uh, peers online. But still, it's sort of, you know, there is some distance. With the pandemic, I think it's really hit me very hard as well as our company, especially since we have an international team and there's all these different, you know, it's being handled differently all around the world. And serverless guru based in the United States, very challenging there. And so we're not able to get in person and have events as we usually like to do. So it's great to, you know, at least have a have a place with all of our friends online.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, totally. Like, uh, I got used to <laughs> going to all these events. Like last year, I don't even know. I don't I have not even kept the count of how many events I went and gave talk. So and did workshops. And this year it has been like very quiet. So yeah, even I am trying to get used to the new. Uh, this thing—that's—I think that's one of the reasons why I kind of started the Discord uh, server to connect with uh, other people. Now that uh, conferences and thing is completely, you know, uh, not reachable.
0: And did you have a like a favorite talk that you would like to give in person, and do you find that it still comes across the same way, you know, via Discord or, or via online, or does it require that in-person nature? How would you say, it, as someone who teaches a lot?
1: yeah i think uh, i always had a problem with the ability to connect with people online like i've always felt like i am just looking at the screen all the time it's it's a lot more easier when you are physically presenting i don't think any amount of tech can uh, replace that but at the same time given the situation we have to come up with new ways to uh, interact with others and so on so I have not given any talk online uh, at this point. I've been working on a talk on serverless. I, since I want to do it online, I'm thinking to make it more fun, kind of a satire, uh, comedy kind of a talk. <laughs> I don't know how it comes out. I'm still writing down um, the script for that. I will probably let you know once it is out.
0: Absolutely. Please let us know, and then you know we'll share it all over talking serverless. That sounds that sounds great. I'm definitely looking forward to it. In a in a past, I wouldn't say career, but, you know, blip of life, I used to be an actor. And, you know, when the audience had a lot of energy to give, it was the best thing ever. But when they didn't, then, you know, it was like, oh, I'm just talking to myself or acting for myself. And, you know, I think that's been something I've also been sort of reliving in the amount of just even, you know, your typical Zoom meeting or large Zoom training. Sometimes it feels like you're talking to the void or to yourself. But I think, you know, at least in the in the smaller online communities, You sort of all know everyone is excited to hear about the topic that you want. So probably you know once you once you give give the talk and write the script, and at least if it's everyone in the Discord or the serverless community, I think everyone will be willing to give you as much energy as you need.
1: Yeah, I I hope so. And yeah, you're very very light that you know sometimes um, it feels very bland uh, not to have uh, other person in front of you. Uh, It's when you are giving a talk uh, in a in a real venue. In a physically you can connect with the audience you can kind of gauge what they are thinking you can set the pace for your talk based on how audience are getting it uh like i i have given the same talk in multiple multiple places in a very different way based on the crowd and how crowd is receiving it but that is simply kind of uh, impossible to do online that's like a big shortcoming for the online uh, talks i would say indeed it's definitely a
0: new set of challenges and i'm New set of circumstances. So Prasanth, as we know, you are an AWS serverless hero. I'd love to hear a little bit about you know how
1: did that come to be, and you know what does that mean to you? Huh, so uh, that that is kind of uh, you know it it became as a big surprise to me because. Uh, you know, I, I was just going out giving talks everywhere, you know, I, because I truly believe, believed in serverless. And, uh, one day I suddenly received an email from, uh, AWS team, uh, saying, asking whether you would like to be, a serverless hero. That became as a big surprise because, you know, I knew, uh, the likes of Jeremy Dali and, uh, Jan Kuig and so on. So it was a great honor to be part of, you know, the, that group, uh, being a serverless hero. I did not anticipate that to happen uh, to me so fast it it was a huge huge pleasant uh, surprise at that time and i feel uh, it kind of amplified my ability to uh, go around uh, and um, you know educating people about serverless uh, because of the recognition which i got from uh, aws it opened a lot more doors Uh, i gave i started giving a lot more talks i got invited by uh, B, uh, AW, for AWS Dev Day Beijing, I went there and gave a talk on full stack serverless uh, in Beijing. Uh, so it really was a uh, very, very uh, huge uh, addition, or uh, recognition uh, for me from uh, a- AWS.
0: Absolutely. And it's always been, you know, I'd say, very exciting to me to hear how everyone approaches the sort of the award and the position of AWS Serverless Hero. And it really seems like to me, you know, for you, I think you really, you know, like sharing your, your knowledge of serverless. And, uh, would you say in your mind, is that sort
1: of one of the cornerstones of what it means to be an AWS serverless hero? Uh, I'm not quite sure, Josh, because, uh, it's unclear, like, what, what is the criteria internally for AWS to pick, uh, you know, uh, Big people to give uh, hero titles uh, I, they were like apart from the talks I was also uh, writing blogs about AWS Amplify uh, also in all my beginner talks um you know, I I used Amplify as a tool to attract newcomers because it had low entry barrier to get in. People could just use CLI, answer a few questions and it auto-generates the API for them, uh, deploys the Lambda for them uh, and so on. So there were like a lot of things I was doing during that uh, time. I guess uh, everything accounted for it uh, in my opinion, I guess. That sounds about right from what I've heard
0: from other people. And I think, you know, when you're doing so much, it's also hard to pinpoint, you know, it was this thing or this is what what it means the most to be. You know, I think all the AWS heroes are very unique. And so it's hard to pinpoint things down to one specific quality or action. Um, Is there sort of a, you're mentioning that, you know, in the past you were writing some articles or doing some of the teaching like AWS Amplify as I think is as a way to get people introduced to serverless. Is that sort of still your go-to move to get people introduced to it or do you have a sort of uh, a better first first situation you like to show people or give people
1: i think uh, amplify is a great start because uh, it it has very low entry barrier like if you tell people to go learn sam or you know write several as yaml and all that it can be intimidating for beginners so amplify kind of uh, makes it look really really easy because it's highly opinionated and it takes care of a lot of stuff for you in the beginning. So I still uh, would uh, highly recommend uh, going going with Amplify uh, for beginners so that they can, for, for a beginner, it's very important for them to see some progress, right? In Amplify, you get to see your a- API deployed in no time and you get, you can hit it with Postman or if you are building a GraphQL uh, API, you can go to Amplify, uh, AppSync console and try out queries and you see things moving, things happening, which kind of encourages people to, you know, dig more. Uh, I think that's, that, that's why I kind of prefer, uh, giving Amplify as a begin, beginning Place for people who are starting off uh, with serverless. Fantastic.
0: Well, I will be sure to, uh, you know, either write some more pieces or recommend that to recommend that to others. I definitely agree. You know, being able to see everything moving around and you know have a lot more happening rather than you know just setting up IAM roles or something as far as getting used to the whole piece of the puzzle of like what is involved in building serverless applications is very effective. True. Agreed. So, Prasant, another thing I'd like to get your insight on is one thing I'm also hearing a lot, which, you know, I think Ryan and I have also seen in the field as consultants as, you know, one of the benefits of serverless is, um, you know, I'm hearing like serverless allows you just to work better as a team and it allows your team to sort of move faster, iterate faster, uh, maybe less of an emphasis on the technology um, and, um, and sort of its technical aptitude and its uh, technical strengths I'm seeing as being sort of less emphasized. And I think, you know, it's good that we're having a a human centered approach as far as, you know, the benefits of our tech stack and the benefits of our processes. But at the same time, I think we also have to remember that, you know, if the technology wasn't good for business logic for scaling our applications, you know, as an entrepreneur and sort of fitting all of the triple bottom lines, uh, then we wouldn't be using it in the first place. Um, And I wonder how you like to approach that idea is like, you know, serverless is sort of a team or organizational benefit as well as like a technology benefit. Are there situations where it leans more towards the organization team side than the tech stack? Or are they always intertwined?
1: Uh, it's, it's kind of... Um... Yeah, there is no hard and fast thing like every organization's dynamics are very very different and so on and the historic uh you know the tick choices and everything also kind of comes into the picture uh, in a typical organization but i feel serverless allows uh, more and more large teams to work independently a lot more uh than before because it allows uh since it's it's kind of nano services it's not even micro because you are constructing smaller pieces of the puzzle of your entire system it allows large teams to distribute work very very well and uh, work on things uh, really really fast because they do, they have very less dependency on other people other teams uh, they, they that is that kind of enables them to to faster go to market uh, they can uh, ramp up the product really really fast they don't need to worry about Infrastructure and so on. They don't. There is no need of asking DevOps team to give us some instance and you know, boot up a new database and stuff like that. So I think that enables empowers the developers to kind of uh, take full advantage of serverless and rapidly develop uh, the products. Which what used to be before was a lot of dependency on other teams and approvals and so on. So that kind of empowers the teams. At the same time, for for the business, it's uh, uh, the go-to market is really really important, and also it's lot less uh, resource intensive because people are uh, mostly focused on uh, the business use cases than figuring out how to uh, manage the infrastructure part of things. So I think that's very empowering for the engineering teams to have full control of uh, whatever they are building, which was not the case before because. DevOps and developers were like completely two different entities before. With serverless, everything is in one person or one team's hand, and they completely uh, take a, they can completely take advantage of that.
0: Indeed, I think I've seen some of the biggest transformations in in organizations, or I'd say, just sort of the mindset and the ownership that developers are able to have now, because they're they're seeing the whole piece of the puzzle. They're seeing they're seeing the dev, they're seeing the ops they're also doing the deployment there it's not just like oh i'm a back-end team member and then there's an application team member and then there's this front-end team member whenever you can sort of i'd say what is it like shrink down the steps of the telephone or reduce the amount of handoffs that have to happen uh, i think overall you know that's what people would like to call efficiency and in that retrospect definitely definitely i see surplus being a benefit
1: yeah and also it is uh, making more and more engineers to uh, be more full stack uh, because uh, conventionally there's been this trend of, oh, I'm a backend engineer I only do, you know, uh, Python or backend code Java and stuff and there are like bunch of people who are like I only do uh, React or I only do frontend uh and there are like DevOps is completely different, uh, team. So I think, uh, serverless is allowing people to also become full stack because they can now do everything in one place. It's not so intimidating like before. Uh, so that, that that's a different, uh, kind of, I, I am, I am seeing a big uptick in more and more full stack engineers, uh, in the industry now than before because of serverless. Definitely. And I think even like as, as someone who's also
0: involved in hiring, the people who have more of that full stack experience, at least with serverless, seem to be not attractive, but like they have a, a different breadth of experience that can be very helpful. And uh, is something I'm wondering if, uh you know, if we'll just see more of like, I wonder if, you know, maybe it depends on the size of the organization. Maybe it's better to have really in tune specialists on one end, but full stack developers on the other. I think that level remain to be seen.
1: True, I totally agree. Like like, there are some areas uh, of technology where having somebody who is like uh, really, really deep in it, who has deeper understanding of how that works, uh, will be a that that will never change basically. So it will always be there. People like that will always be valuable. Indeed.
0: That being said, I've definitely enjoyed our conversation a lot today, and uh, I've been feeling all the energy on your side. So I thank you very much for that, especially with the differences in uh, in time zone and and all that and just, you know, very busy lives and having to organize everything. So I really appreciate that.
1: Oh, thanks. Thanks. Uh, thanks to you, uh, Josh, for having me here. This is uh, my first podcast. Actually, I have uh, not uh, done any podcast before. I used to do a podcast myself a long, long time ago. Uh, but as a speaker, I have not been any on any podcast. This is my first. So it's a good experience for me as well. And thanks a lot for that. You're very, very
0: welcome, and you did a fantastic job. A+, plus. anyone else who's listening to this get Prasanth on your podcast because they're a fantastic guest. That's what I'll say. Do you have anything else you'd like to talk about or share uh, before I let you get on with the rest of your day?
1: Uh, I just want to mention the you know Discord uh, server which we have. Uh, one can join by going to antstackio slash join SS. That's like a short link for the invite link for the Discord server. I would love to have everyone on there and uh, continue the community work there and catch up with everyone.
0: Fantastic. Then we will be sure to also put that in the podcast notes. Everyone join the server and then we can all hang out together and get all of our serverless questions answered and, you know, just continue to build the community. I think that's fantastic. And thank you listeners for listening to me, Josh and Prasant today and hope you join the Discord and we will see you all there. Have a good rest of your day.